You're listening to Absolute AI. Conversations with the humans behind artificial intelligence, where data scientists, ML researchers, startup founders, and enterprise execs talk about cutting-edge innovations and unique challenges posed by this new technological frontier. Tune in for interviews with leading experts to anticipate trends before they emerge. Hi, thanks for joining us on Absolute AI, conversations with the humans behind artificial intelligence. I'm your host, Melody Travers, and today I'm speaking with Azmat Pasha. Azmat is a consummate chief technology officer who had humble beginnings after moving from India to the United States. With over 25 years of technological experience and now being an advisor to the tech community through board memberships like Ford's Technology Advisory Board, Azmat brings to Absolute AI plenty of experience. Welcome to Absolute AI, Azmat. Thank you, Melody. Appreciate it for having me over here. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started in artificial intelligence. Wow, artificial intelligence has been there for almost 50 years, believe it or not, right? (laughs) Uh, My entry into the AI space has been about nine years as the market evolved. Uh, As you had uh, introduced me, I've been with the tech community for quite some time, about 25 years now, and organically working with the data space and analytics. And AI was just bound to happen, right? Because all the technologies are moving towards that with machine learning, with algorithms getting more commoditized, uh, with with folks, you know, uh, with data science being becoming very hot in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I wrote an article about seven years ago uh, on, uh, you know, data science being the next, uh, you know, generation technology where people will be looking for skills in that market. So today we are here and it's becoming much more real and we're seeing it. What did you see at the time that maybe other people had missed? So as I mentioned, right, AI has already received a lot of buzz the past decade Mm -hmm. uh, and it became very trending. But the infusion of AI with a lot of folks harnessing the power of data Mm -hmm. and that's what I think folks didn't see coming faster because it was all about the data If you are a retail or if you're a customer who's in healthcare trying to do all the genomics and all that, you need a lot of data that's going to be transported to the systems and going to harness that power. So that's Mm. the kind of trend that I saw. Mm. And then we had the uh, uh, big corporations like AWS, Google, and Microsoft, and they were already looking at commoditizing the data assets and then building the power of AI on top of that so that they can offer that to uh, end customers. Yeah, absolutely. And at one point you said uh, the pace of technology transformation is so rapid. uh, The winners are going to be the ones that can understand the power of digital analytics to better deliver on their objectives. So what are those key ingredients to harnessing the power of digital analytics? I think you got to look at it from a future of work, right? Mm -hmm. Throughout history, technology revolutions have changed the labor force, creating new forms of pattern work, making things obsolete, making things that are going to be societal changes, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about today we see Twitter, we see Facebook, all that wasn't that common 10 years ago. So that's the changes that are happening. And then I already talked about the future of data, right? As data is becoming more harnessable, 
the social media also added to the uh, fuel more of that, right? So almost half of the entire global population is now hooked to social media in some form or format. We all know that, right? So fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was why, you know, the the onset of digital technologies, which became more rapidly uh, available. And then today you can see about 12% of folks, right? Almost from 2017 onwards, you could see a lot of these um, uh, globally across the board, 33% of communities are hooked digitally, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in some form or fashion, right? Whether you, you connect South Africa to, uh, you know, Europe, and you look at communities across the board, that is, uh, uh, although there's lack of diversity in the technology sector, the mm. digital technology as a revolution is available for all. Hmm. How, how do you see that um, in the coming years and how can we uh, create more diversity within technology? Uh, interesting question. So I will take a punt at it in a different way, right? Okay. Technologies can help make our world very fairer, more peaceful and more just. Mm -hmm. So digital advances can support and accelerate achievement of of uh, each of these areas into sustainable development goals. So for example, mm -hmm. you look at uh, uh, UN, right? So UN is talking about future of cyberspace. Secretary General, just about two weeks ago, I was reading an article where they were talking about a universal cyberspace that reflects global standards for peace and security for human rights and sustainable mm. development. So it's getting into more of from a CSR corporate social responsibility. It's becoming much more wider use across globally from a, a you know from a social responsibility as well as making it for available for all citizens. Mm. That's great. Yeah, that's. That's really cool that they've integrated technology into the SDGs. Um, in I, I had no idea about that. I'll have to. Uh, you'll have to send me the article, and we can link to it in the show notes. Um, Absolutely. In another uh, along these lines, in an article, you said that one of your goals is to provide a bridge between technology and society. And so I was wondering, what is the ideal relationship between technology and society? Um, and, and maybe touch on more of the, the opportunity to create more diversity and, um, and uh, sustainable development across the world. I mean, uh, the, it's pretty simple, right? If you look at uh, most of the CFOs, right, across the board are looking at how to cut cost, how to make, invest in proven technologies, process automation, uh, build, build uh, deep expertise in uh, supply chain, market dynamics, and all that. And that's just from a small example from a CFO standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. And they're looking at it. And now you're looking at how, for example, um, you're coming out of COVID. COVID has shown us something. It's very painful to reflect on the millions of lives that were lost, the suffering and grief, and uh, the myriad of disruptions to lives and livelihoods. But in what perhaps a hopeful sign, we now feel the time to reflect and stop and look at what technologies we can invest into, right? Mm. And that saw uh, the opportunity. For example, uh, I heard there's about $130 trillion in dollars worth of investment has gone into flooded into markets where there's infrastructure projects 
that are mm. being put in place. The synergetic strategies of bringing portfolios together. You probably heard about that uh, push for lithium, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so lithium is like now needed for all electric vehicle initiatives, and those weren't there a couple of years ago. Hmm. Now we have an inflated market, supply chain dynamics. We're looking at the challenges and the production challenges where we need to harness the power of all rare earth. metals and mm-hmm. stuff like lithium or even simple things fashion trends right mm-hmm. if you're a social media person who looks at what people are wearing you have to look at how interactive your digital technologies will be uh in finding ways to participate in the metaverse which is facebook mm. yeah that's that's really interesting um yeah i wonder uh, i want to move we we've been talking on a social level but i i want to talk about you know, from a business perspective, because I know that that is where um, you have so much experience. Um, I want to bring that back to um, not just data and technology, but more specifically how that data is being used to train models. Um, so what what do sea um, level folks, for example, need to look for um, in order to integrate AI into their uh, business process? Very good question. It's all about building a business case, right, for the C-level folks. (laughs) For most organizations, AI stirs a range of emotions from optimism about increased business opportunities, Mm -hmm. right, Uh, and looking at the potential and looking at uh, and, and basically addressing concerns around job displacement and potential bias, right? So presenting AI in terms of um, as an opportunity from a business standpoint is uh, for a business leadership and for the board to embrace AI, you have to look at it to provide more of a uh, use case based approach like a storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Provide examples of real life success stories. Hmm. For example, there's nothing like real life success story to make the case for AI. <laughs> this will likely include early success stories from pilot projects that the organization embarks in look at the ROI, and then start looking at automating it uh, from a back office process standpoint, Mm -hmm. right? And show AI as a tool for better decision-making at every layer. So AI puts more query power in the hands of the business analyst and users. We're giving business analysts the power they really uh, to need to get their jobs done. So it's not just one business community that gets uh, benefited the C-level folks should understand that that's going to be a tool for making better decisions. At the same token, the end users and the folks who are in the trenches, right? They have to look at, um, uh, you know, how to better do their algorithms, mm-hmm. commoditize the algorithms, uh, and make things happen. Yeah, in um, in an article that you wrote for Forbes uh, called The Digital Revolution, An Opportunity for All, uh, you wrote that digital transformation is 60% mindset, 25% methodologies, 10% tools, and 5% other. Um, so I, w- I was wondering how you came to these percentages and um, because you, you had just brought up the fact that, um, you know, the those kind of digital transformations integrating AI into business processes. Um, maybe the initiatives come from the top down, but um, it will impact everyone within the business. You have to look it up as 
how is AI going to be looked as a growth enabler, right? Mm. So we are already witnessing the beginning of this trend towards the commoditization of AI. Uh, in the in the recent AWS reInvent con- uh, conference, AWS was talking about AI as being more the next thing that they're going to be investing on, right? Mm. Now that they got uh, a 33, 34% of the market share, they want to look at how to mix the offerings. For example, IBM is looking at Bluemix offerings with big ML or big machine learning mm-hmm. and so on. So uh, so basically, you know, the percentages are based on what I saw, right, across the board. And when you write an article like that, you're going to be doing a lot of homework from the Forrester, from the Gartners, right. from McKinsey surveys. And you put your percentages based on the knowledge at that time. That was about six months ago when I wrote the yeah. article. Uh, but, but the key, key things that I highlighted in that article was you have to um, have the data that is collected. A lot of quality should be enforced in the, the data that is being, you know, coming in, right? Which becomes most of the limiting factors today for running your AI models accuracy. So for any AI algorithm to run and give you the right results, you need uh, the right quality data, as right. you know. So collection of data is very important. And then the other thing is data cannot always be simulated. You need the real thing. Hmm. <laughs> you really, so you can't make things stuff up. Although some AI researchers are working on exactly that. AI is yeah. data hungry. And if I am running an algorithm, I'm very hungry for that data and I need that quality. So for researchers to run their algorithms uh, for on a simulated mode, you need to have large quantity of data, but real data. And the last thing is the data is hard to move from point A to point B. For example, uh, thinking about the field of medicine, there is human genome, hmm. right? So there's about a 100 human genomes that can be about 15 to 30 terabytes. Moving that kind of data across the land is not going to be possible. Right. So people like AWS, people like Microsoft, they've all got it, how to move the data across the cloud. Hmm. The next thing is qualitating the data and quantifying it and making it available is going to be the critical factor. Yeah, you you talked about uh, so the real data being very important and then synthetic data. Um, and, and there is a real debate on about synthetic data versus the real data. So when when is it? Um, I mean, obviously, we would always rather have you know, the exact data that we need, perfectly labeled, high quality. Um, but what what are the cases in which uh, synthetic data can be uh, helpful to augment? Or or do you think it's it uh, it can't deliver the the same or, or useful um, training for algorithms? This is a thought provoking question. So I'm going to make it very easier to understand from a strategy standpoint, right? So harnessing the benefits of new database and analytics technologies, that's what we need to focus on. On a strategic level, if you're a CTO, if you're a CIO, CDO, whatever you call yourself, (laughs) the executives at traditional companies recognize the benefits of the latest data-related technology, right? But from my experience, I look at it from a three-pillared uh, three approach, right? So one is moving the analytics to the cloud, meaning mm. once the data, synthetic data, uh, it could be structured, unstructured. Once you move the data 
on-prem using an on-prem technology moving from on-prem to the cloud mm-hmm. uh, then you create a culture of data right which much more insights within the data but the ability to see those insights requires an organizational culture across the board yeah okay so in our field we don't distinguish whether if this data is coming from a flat file versus it's coming from a salesforce or whatnot we just try to pull all the data in in into the cloud and then we make technology fluency a priority mm. how you pipeline the data how you structure it and make it available on the consumption side right and build that fluency gap i i call it the fluency gap which is basically a bridge between equipping your leadership with mm. the right tools and knowledge and typically through through boot camps or you can create a innovation day and build a commitment towards that journey across the board in the organization mm. so that is goes towards that strategy once you have your strategy right everything else today is all commoditized you can always plug in the right technology and and get the power of your database and advance analytics going Absolute AI is sponsored by Inadata, a leading data engineering company. From startups to enterprise, Inadata delivers ground truth training data and customized AI services and platforms at scale. Learn more at inadata.com. So you're saying that it's it's much more important to be organizing and structuring the data that you have that uh, access to, and then you can just, you know, plug and play the tools that are out there in order to derive the, the, um, productionize the process. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So you've, you've worked across many different industry verticals. Um, I'm to name a few in healthcare, travel, financial services, property manufacturing, telecommunication. I mean, really just mm-hmm. kind of everything. Um, so what industries are moving forward uh, with the most robust digital transformations and which ones do you think uh, seem ripe for it but haven't quite gotten there yet? So... Um, I definitely was prepared to talk about this. Oh, oh, good. <laughs> so um, Gartner projects about uh, $3.9 trillion worth of value, business value, that's going to be created by AI, right? So then the AI applications just don't have the promise, but they're going to yield business results mm-hmm. and as a, for, uh, for experience as a whole. Now, from an industry standpoint, uh, let's talk healthcare. Uh, in healthcare, the contribution from the technology giants like Microsoft, Google, Apple, and IBM has been pretty significant, right? Uh, AI is currently being applied for a wide range of healthcare services, mm-hmm. including data mining for identifying patterns and then carrying out the more accurate diagnosis and treatment for medical conditions, imaging, uh, medication, drug discovery, and all that. So healthcare leads the pack mm-hmm. for AI. Next is the retail and e-commerce. When you're looking at retail and e-commerce, now you're seeing customers sitting, right? I mean, they want to see patterns in consumer behavior. Look at what kind of strategies that we can outsmart 
Uh, yeah, back in those days when I used to be affiliated with Sears, mm-hmm. Sears used to run, you know, competitive benchmarks with Macy's, you know, all, all, all that. So that also has been now much more popular. So AI has certainly found a sweet spot hmm. uh, in the entire scheme of things at retail and e-commerce. Now, there are other fascinating uh, market uh, industries like food technology, hmm. right? So there is a company called Tomra Systems, and they have built AI-based food sorting equipment targeting the French fries versus uh, peeled potatoes. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's amazing how that AI machinery with all that algorithms behind the wheels is helping that industry. Now, banking and financial services, you have a lot of chatbots. Literally, when I go bank with Citibank or Chase, they have all the bots financial advisors, they literally take you till the end and then they have a customer person call you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they they have, you know, with all KYC and all that stuff, they're making a much, much more personal experience for uh, end users. A uh, couple more industries I have is the logistics and transportation. Uh, coming off of COVID, that industry has become very popular. Yes, yes. And uh, you, you can see what's happening with Tesla, Uber, Volvo, Uh, and Volkswagen, Uh, they are all in the forefront of research, right? And then in the travel industry, we're seeing immense competition with AI-enabled chatbots, 24 bar seven, instant resolution queries that customers want while booking their tickets, Mm -hmm. right? And their itineraries. So these uh, six industries to me are really leading the pack. Mm -hmm. And there's one industry which is also picking up, which is real estate where there are oh. people who want to sit in uh, in San Francisco buying properties in Chicago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they want services after, you know, six o'clock. So you have Redfin and others have invested more on the AI side. So, yeah, it's quite, quite a bit. Yeah, we have that... Uh, uh- that a lot. Uh, being in Austin in the very hot housing market here, we have lots of Californians uh, buying up property here, sight unseen. Um, one of my friends uh, is about to close on a house that was originally bought through Open Door. And so everything has been basically automated in that experience. There was not the same, you know, um, communication with a person. Uh, There were some great aspects of it because it was so streamlined, but then there were also some things that that seemed like kinks um, that they have to work out where they, um, you know, in the closing process, they had some things that needed to be fixed. And Open Door basically is like, ah, we don't, we don't negotiate. And they're like, maybe let's negotiate. So, you know, um, but it, it has been super interesting to see um, real estate, uh, just like many of the of the industries that you talked about, but real estate was very paper based, very mm-hmm. lots of documents, files, um, and and it's just taken off. And of course, we've had this huge sweep upward in um uh, it seems like every city is a hot market right right now or has been in the last few years um so what what are the the industries um that or or are there any that come to mind that you think ai um has has been underutilized and you think in the next 5 or 10 years could really transform it 
entertainment and gaming hmm. is one. If you see a lot of uh, movies are being produced, right? And I see AI, Netflix, AI is being employed to enhance digital effects in the movies to save cost and speed up the pre and post production process, mm-hmm. right? For example, uh, I read one article where natural language processing is used to structure a script for storyboarding. Oh. <laughs> or, or data is used to arrive at an optimal schedule for filming. Wow. That's, that, I, I see that uh, that creativity being built in with the, uh, uh, within the filming and the entertainment industry. Uh, yeah. And there's the other one is the manufacturing. Mm-hmm. I've heard the concept called cobots. Have you heard of collaborative co- robots? Oh, I haven't heard it as cobots. I like that abbreviation. Um, tell me more. So in factories, uh, for example, in manufacturing side, right? So machine learning and artificial neural networks have been employed to support predictive maintenance mm-hmm. of critical industry equipment. So uh, long ago, I used to work uh, and consult with Caterpillar. So mm-hmm. we did quite a bit of their vehicle pre- predictive maintenance Right. This was about nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we didn't have the power of robotics or the robotics process automation. So now RPA and robots have become very integral part of the production process. Mm-hmm. So the majority of the industrial robots are often stationary, yet in a danger of crashing into nearby objects. <laughs> so so the use of AI and robotics yeah. has um, got the concept of collaborative robots, which is called cobots. that can take instructions from humans Uh and work product across the production cycle alongside, you know? (laughs) Wow. Yeah, we worked with a company called DexAI that um, did something similar to what you brought up earlier, which is uh, the robot arm can make a salad for you. So um, it, you know, everything's kind of laid out and uh, it's able to, you know, take the bowl, do all the ingredients and um, so it's it's really exciting, as you said, um, there's this commodification of algorithms, but also robotics getting intertwined in there. Um, yeah, I, as a kid, I, I really thought we would already be in the Jetsons, you know, I would, oh, I wow. would, uh, <laughs> so we're not there yet, but um, it seems like we're, we're well on our way. So I wanted to uh, wrap up with um, one of my uh, goofy questions. Um if you were to write a sci-fi novel about the year 2041, uh, what does the world look like and have the robots taken over? Uh, um, about five years ago, I gave a keynote on AI, right? Rise of the machines kind of a thing. And I also had an article written on LinkedIn. Um, so you have to take a few things under consideration. 2041, right? I didn't look at 20 years from now, but key thing is going to be the talent, Hmm. right? Do you have the right AI talent? Uh, So are you going to have uh, AI and AI-related folks coming out of universities, uh, Hmm. graduate programs? And because five years ago, when I used to work with the PhDs, I had a good traction of folks who had mathematical statistical degrees, who right. were calling themselves data scientists, right? Sure. Now I see universities teaching data science as a subject, and that's also you're graduating as a data scientist. Yeah. You don't need a long haul eight years program to graduate as a PhD 
doctorate in data science now. Mm -hmm. So if this continues on, and there five years from now, if we get into a market where folks are just getting certificate programming coming out of high schools, the number of people available to do the work is going to increase. That's one. Yeah, that was an in interesting thing that um, I some of my colleagues at my old company, um, they had uh, advanced degrees in uh, biomedical engineering and statistics. Um, but they said that they, they were ML engineers, but they had gotten most of their machine learning education online. So they had taken Andrew Ng's classes. They had, they had kind of um, used the, the knowledge that they had um, as, as a framework, as the foundation for them to understand mm -hmm. that amount advanced things, but, but that they said, and, and I think that is changing, but, you know, our education system overall, you were talking about society and technology at the beginning of our conversation, that is, is going to be a big transition that the, the types of, ed, of, of course tracks have uh have has already started to shift and change, but um so I, I love that you pointed that out. And the other thing is adoption too. How fast and accelerated AI can get into the industries, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a leading survey that was done by Harvard Business Review, mm -hmm. and 92 percent of organizations today, in some form, are doing AI ML, mm -hmm. right? But then they are not ready. 64 percent of them, 60. 1% of the 90, right, don't have the data. There's no wow. data strategy in place. Wow. So that explosion of data, the exponential increase in computing power yeah. and storage capacity uh, with algorithms, with AI-based capabilities are going to be very important for that 2030 and 2040 yeah. as we revolutionize the business process. Wow. So that's going to be very important. So you have to work through your data strategy. Yeah. Make sure the data sets are available, like I mentioned earlier, right? Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. Um, I cut you off before. You said number two. Yeah. So <laughs> the acceleration we spoke about, the talent, and the number two is the focus on risk mitigation, right? Oh. Mm -hmm. So so AI is playing a large role in decisions that impact customers and organizations. Um, I, I I hear and I see and I'm part of uh, things that I see is there's a lot of increased scrutiny of algorithm and model integrity. So there was a report that was done, one of leading survey companies on AI index report, and they said 19%, only one nine, 19% of large companies and organizations are doing to address that risk, right? Wow. And 13% are just doing that mitigation of the risk. So, so you have to put in proper governance and ethical frameworks of how much AI can be used for society, hmm. right? Look at China. As you walk in the streets, China basically gets a read of who you are. They can, today with COVID, they can read your temperature and all that stuff. So is that, it's, is, it, is it very important? I, I mean, as we as a society grow, do we need to use that? Where is the uh, ethical framework there? Hmm. So we got to look into all that. Uh, consider the ethical use of applications and mo monitor the deviations coming off those algorithms. Uh, trace how algorithms uh, arrive at decisions. Just don't rely completely on thinking that this is the false positive, this is what it is. Yeah. No. 
challenge it, yeah. right? Try to run some tests and make sure that that's what you wanted and that's what it is giving, the results, the, the results that are getting spit it out. And control the unwanted scenarios uh, as you play around with quality data, hmm. right? So those are the things from a risk mitigation standpoint, right? And that's something the organizations need to continuously evolve across the board. And and who who do you see as primarily responsible for for building that? Is that in industry? Is that in government? Is that um, like is it everybody? <laughs> you know, uh, I think it's both, right? I mean, we have come this day and age. Government equals to technology. Technology equals to big corporations. It's a uh, AI market itself. Uh, I believe by 2025, there's about 190 billion dollars. It's going to be the industry in general for AI, from retail to entertainment to manufacturing to healthcare, all of that, right? So it's just that you have to do those spends, right? Yeah. Government is going to use that ethical framework, put more governance on the process. Corporations will be working towards enhancing technologies and making technologies and its speed to market. Mm -hmm. If they have the best product, breast device that can help, they will be racing towards that. And the society as well. Our we are also, um, I think, we are responsible throughout the, you know, with this for the AI spur and growth because we want more. Yeah, we want things automated. Two years from now, I won't be surprised if a drone comes and drops off. Uh, package coming from the closest uh, Amazon warehouse. Mm. Now, we want that kind of technology. We don't even go shopping anymore. <laughs> Everything comes home. So it's the uh, it's it's the more demands, demand for automation across the board. Yeah. That is such a great way or spot, I think, to end. Um, I want to I want to wrap up with some calls to action. Um, how can people learn more about you, get in touch with you? Anything like that? Absolutely. My my key takeaway for folks who are listening, who are new to AI, is keep your, your eyes and ears open. Look at it. Read more articles. See mm -hmm. what's going on. People who are going to college, coming out of, uh, you know, who have interest from high school, getting into AI, uh, get involved. I mean, you don't need to have a college degree. You don't need to have mm -hmm. uh, this thing to just learn a few algorithms, go use Python or R and do the coding. The market is there. It's only about 9% with a uh, with a $190 billion growth by 2025. You can either be an AI research scientist, you could be an AI engineer, a machine learning engineer, or an AI architect. Plenty. Hmm. Lots, lots going to be there. Opportunities are going to be there. I'm always available uh, over linkedin.com slash Azmat Pasha. Uh, you could reach me. I'm on uh, CTO advisory boards for several, uh, uh, you know, advisories like Dev Network, uh, Innovation Executive Leadership Council. I'm also a CTO advisor for MetaWave Digital and uh, at Forbes. Also, you can reach me out through. Yeah. Wonderful. And we'll put all of those links in our show notes. Thank you so much, Asmat. That was uh, such a great conversation. Thank you, Melody. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We make this program for listeners like you. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it with your community, write a review or drop us five stars. Every little bit helps spread the word. See you next time.